Welcome to episode four, The Brew with Suzanne Morning. Hi, I'm Suzanne, an intuitive guide who channels healing energy. The end of each month, we'll be channeling guidance for a question and answer session. So email your questions to the brew with Suzanne Morning at gmail.com. Visit us on SuzanneMorning.com. The portal is opening. Welcome to The Brew with Suzanne Morning, episode four, Good Grief. Good Grief. Good Grief. What are you doing, girl? That was a little idiom back in the 80s or even 70s. There was Good Grief, there was My Giddy Aunt, or That's Cool. Yes, where I was raised, we didn't use expletives, we weren't allowed to. So we had to get by and saying things like, good grief, and my giddy aunt. Who is a giddy aunt? And how on earth is a giddy aunt relevant to any stress you're going through at the time? <laughs> but we would often say, my giddy aunt. Now, for those of you who are lucky and allowed to swear, lucky you. Some of us had to find compensatory ways to satisfy that part of ourselves. Um, besides saying good grief and my giddy aunt, um, we would sometimes find a very, let's say, subversive way, a cunning plan to give us some sort of compensatory pleasure by yelling out to our mother, to mum, bum! Yes. So that's bum, B for bravo. Mm-hmm. Weren't allowed to say that. And we lived in a house on a large section in the bush. So we'd have, often have to yell across quite a, uh, a large piece of land to our parents who were pottering around deep in the bush or up in the, the car park way on the road. It was a long, big section deep in the bush. So we learnt to yell. And we'd yell out, Bum! And she'd call back, Yes! Because that's how she spoke. She had a Welsh sing-song accent. And we would deeply satisfied with the success of our cunning plan and the way we were able to get away with calling our mother bum. Mm. The simple pleasures of life. Um, I still think she's unaware of that to this day. But the whole point of this little episode that I've called Good Grief, apart from that little tangent, is that grief is good. I know it sucks while we're going through it, but I've called it good grief because it's there for a reason. It's there to do us good and it serves us some ultimate purpose of freeing us up. It's the process of change that we use to adapt to some reality, some new reality. And without it, we don't really ever adapt to the new reality. <clears throat> we get stuck in the past and it... It ties our feet together in some areas so that we end up hobbling, hobbling, because we're crippled by pain we haven't expressed. Does that make sense? Now, why am I talking grief <clears throat> as an intuitive guide? Uh, because so much of life does involve grief, and so many people come to see um, some kind of healer or channeler for a reading or a healing because it's to do with grief. So I think it's 
it's important to have a little chat around what is grief and how do we link it into healing and, and readings? What part do they all play together? So what I would like to say is grief happens in stages and you may or may know not know this. It starts with, well it can start with anything really, but the five stages of grief according to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, her books are wonderful if you're interested in taking this further, uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression and then finally acceptance. Now these do not all happen in a nice tidy linear form in 326 days. It's a mishmash of jumping around between all of them simultaneously, alternatively. It's a topsy-turvy world with no rules. Um, might be in denial one moment, then over to anger, then bargaining. You know, how could you, God? How could you leave me? How could you die? How could this person abandon me? You know, if only I'd done this, if I could go back and change that, or oh, this didn't happen to me, surely it couldn't happen to me. No, I'm just, I'm going to pretend it didn't happen and just act like it's not happening. They're not really beating me. They're not really taking my money. It's not really happening. Till we move into a beginning of a realization of, oh God, it's happening. And then that can be the depression, the sadness, the realization. And when we get stuck in that, that's when we may need help to work it through. To finally we come to some kind of acceptance. Some kind of acceptance of finding how to live with this reality and move forward. We may never fully heal. But we find a way somehow to balance it all. And it's, it's like going forward in life. You're driving, but you, there's a passenger seat. And that person is wrapped in multiple blankets and kept warm with hotties. And you're tending them and caring to them while we're still driving. So sometimes it's like that a bit with grief. We get to a stage where we're still moving forward, but we know there's that wounded part that needs caring and nurturing. And what I am talking about or trying to raise awareness is saying, let's allow grief to be there. Let's allow ourselves to pull over to the side of the road, get out of the car and get around, kneel behind, beside that wounded part of us and hug her or hug him and say, it's okay, do you need to stop for a while? Do you need to get out? Do you need to have a cry? Do you need a hot cup of tea? Should we just be still for a while and sit in this paddock and just watch the clouds drift by? You let me know when you're ready and we'll get back in. There's that kind of relationship between grief and allowing it to be there. And sometimes it's just giving permission to be there. Um, I heard a counsellor say that she said, you know, I'd, I'd be out of work just about if people allowed themselves to grieve. Because when we don't grieve, we go into coping strategies and repressive coping strategies where we block it down. Um, and that escalates things in the long run. It takes longer to get through it. We complicate things. So I'm here to say that grief is a part of life, from the small to the large. You can have a small grief sometimes when you smash that favorite cup, you know, that your grandmother left you. And it's like, oh, oh, 
God, I've got so many good memories sitting around having tea with Gran and I've smashed it. And that's grief. Grief, or it might be I've lost my favourite pen, right up to he took my money, cheated on me, dumped me, she left me, she lied to me. I was adopted. I had to leave home. The abuse was too terrible. It can be anywhere along the spectrum, but it's all grief and it's all worthy of being acknowledged and felt. Because what we desensitize ourselves to in our feelings is indiscriminate. So what I mean by that is if we switch off our feelings, you can't be selective about, well, I'm just going to switch off the bad. When we switch off and numb our feelings, we're just turning the whole volume down. And that means we turn the joy volume, the pleasure volume, the um, sensual feelings I have in my body, even my appetite. Everything gets turned down when we numb out. It is not discriminant. The process of numbing to grief and events is indiscriminate and we tone down our consumption and our feeling, our experience of life. And then sometimes as we start to heal, we get pins and needles. Oh, here's the feeling coming back. Oh, oh, and we have to give it a shake. And it's a bit uncomfortable. It's awakening. It's awakening. I'm starting to get my feeling back, getting the movement in my hand. Oh, it's coming back. But there's a time of awkwardness where it comes back into, into reality. Suddenly I can feel my hand again. Oh, and I can feel the pleasure of that touch. Someone gripping my hand, holding, caressing. And when we go numb, we may lose the ability to feel the pain of that slap on our hand, but we lose the ability to feel the soft, tender caress because numbing is indiscriminate, my friend. It's indiscriminate. And we hurt ourselves when we do that. But here's the amazing thing. The body knows. The body knows. The spirit knows. The mind. The emotions. We are an intelligent, integrated system that does not operate independently of the other. What we think and feel manifests in our body. Our body is the garden of our soul. What we feel and think over a prolonged period ultimately is created in our body. Now why is this? Well if you believe we are eternal spirits having a physical experience, we incarnate from a spiritual realm into planet earth to learn then you might consider that the body is really a physical manifestation to point out, illustrate, demonstrate, show, alert us to what is going on internally. Because when we create, we create from the inside out, not the outside in as the external world and advertising would say, but we create from the inside out. And the body knows. It is an integrated system. It knows when it's time to grieve. And it knows how to grieve. 
And it knows when you're ready to grieve. And the part of our soul that's connected with the divine when we reach out and ask for help also knows what people to bring around you to create a safe space to grieve. So those who have repressed memories due to severe abuse will find sometimes at a certain latter part of their life they'll start to have dreams and feelings and awareness because the body is bringing the subconscious to the surface, to the conscious, and saying, you're ready now, you're strong enough to clear this, and here's some people to help you with it. And they cross your path, they become a part of your life, you feel safe with them. And the body knows, because it's talking to the emotions, who are talking to the memories, who's talking to the mind, who's talking to your spirit. And at night in your sleep, your spirit is talking to your dream team, your spirit team on the other side, and they're tweaking your body, your memories, your frequencies, bringing in experiences and strength, learning and knowledge to, okay, you've got enough here, you're ready to start looking at this, unpacking it, and healing it. And there's a whole, several other podcasts around why we go into these things, why we learn these things, why we go through trauma. But the body will know and release it when you're ready. So we have to be careful with hypnosis about what we delve into. And the body will block it. And sometimes in past life regressions, the body or your spirit guide within your body or your higher self will block things because you're not meant to know. You're not ready. And that's where the process of trust comes in. Trust the process because there is a divine process. And as muddly and awful as it seems, as out of control and desperate, vile, dark, there is some divine process in the middle of that muck. And the body will start to let you know and the external factors will come around you, the people, the support, and your mind, your feelings, and emotions. Emotions will start to trigger things, and that's when you know you're ready to release. That's when you know. And how long will it take? Well, my triblings, it will take as long as it needs to take. And there is no, no deadline. We are eternal souls. Like Michelangelo painting the Sistine Chapel, there's no rush to get it done. We're in the middle of a glorious masterpiece that is ourselves. And though we may ache and we're so up close to the picture, lying on our back painting it, we can't see the bigger picture. The divine holds that big celestial, magnificent mural and is guiding us, guiding us. And it can be painful work. It's not always easy. It's not always simple and straightforward. There's always a payoff. So how long does it take? As long as it takes. And your grief will be as unique as you are. Let me say that again. Your grief is, is as unique as you are. And if you're looking to model it off something or someone, there are no rules for grief. It is the expression of your sadness and your healing which comes through your DNA and your neural pathway and your body and the genetic sum of who you are and all your past lives and it will have its own way of working itself out like a newly invented colour. It will be your grief. And there will be people who will understand to a certain degree and who can comfort and support 
but let's just take away the pressure of how we how we should manage this and articulate it, how we must constrain and organize it because grief is its own hurricane, its own wind that cannot be contained, managed, predicted, big or small. But it knows where it's going and it knows where it's blowing and it knows how to clear itself. So give it permission. Give it permission to be there. Yay, even welcome it in. Now what re what we resist persists. If you've ever seen the Chinese finger trick, the more you pull, the longer it stays. What we resist persists. And in acceptance comes change. Very powerful statement. In acceptance comes change. There is something about the frequency of acceptance and gratitude and thankfulness that releases any resistant energy to something. We're no longer holding on to it or demanding it should be this way or that way. We just let it go. We let it be. 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 There will be an answer. Let it be. And we're not a culture that's good about letting things be. We want to manage things to death. Let me qualify, quantify. Let me, let me reference that to death. Let me only validate it. Validated it. You know what I'm trying to say? Let me only validate it if I have proof in journals. Um, but sometimes science and Western culture cannot catch up. They are not there yet. But the truth is the truth, whether we've caught up to it or not. So allow it to be there. Don't try and manage or quantify it. Don't expect that anyone or everyone will understand it all because it's your way of dealing with it and you'll do what you need to do to get through it. And what I want to say about grief is it's like waves. Sometimes it's like a tsunami of energy hitting you and then it rolls you over and you come up for a breath, you hit the sand, and you recover for a while. And then another wave comes. And over time, the intensity can drop. Over time. And sometimes nothing can prepare you for some kinds of grief. And the best you can do, my friend, is to survive to tell the story. And to be as kind and as nurturing to that wounded part of you in the passenger seat as you can possibly muster up. And if you were taught that big girls don't cry, men don't cry, they eat pies. Yes, they don't cry, they don't really feel. If you were taught that it's a sign of strength or emotional stamina, Just be willing to relook at that. Because it's a lot of society that wants to exterminate, terminate, eradicate, and accelerate the grief process because it's very uncomfortable. And often it's wrapped around mortality, it's wrapped around issues of non control, and it's really wrapped around our spiritual journey. And I think a lot of why we're here to learn. 
to understand the depth of love and healing, to connect with the divine. And somehow, somewhere, these grieving points become signposts and turning points for going into a deeper part of ourself and birthing other aspects of ourself. And I'm not saying it's a pretty easy process because it's not. So do not feel you need to squash or contain those raw, squirming, unpredictable emotions. It is an unprecedented event when we hit big grief. Do not feel you have to manage, cauterize, cauterize, quarantine, stuff them into boxes and label them because they'll always burst out and sometimes in the supermarket. Now stress can be triggered as you know different things. It might be sometimes the scent of something, it might be a TV program. It catches us unaware, we're caught up in the drama of a film and suddenly it's hit a raw spot. And it might not be the death of someone, we associate grief a lot with death. It might have been that movie triggers that abandoned relationship we had with our father, the distance, the neglect. Or that beautiful motherly care we're watching in the movie triggers the fact that we felt neglected and we were not comforted. Or a story we're reading or something we're here or a relationship we're in. These are great triggers for grief. Becomes a parallel situation for huge grief we're sitting on. I feel unworthy. I'm a creative artistic. I should have been more successful like my linear left brain lawyer siblings I failed my father I should have been more like this I wasn't successful in that I'm slightly less than how can I compensate how can I please them and we find compensatory measures to appease ourselves or others for what we feel is less than and not good enough or comforting strategies for the gnawing pain that I'm not good enough and no one will really love me. And if I present this to you, will that be enough? And then if you finally do say you love me and you get really close and see my weaknesses, you're bound to reject me because somewhere deep inside me, I've rejected myself. I think I'm not good enough because on some primal level, something in my family happened where I felt not good enough and I've internalized that or we've brought it in from a past life into a family that amplify it so it gets magnified so it comes up to volume 10 so we can't ignore it in this life and we're almost polarized pushed into that experience so we have to feel it deeply widely intensely so that we can resolve it within ourselves. Because my friends, often some of these issues are really battles we've had within ourselves and we've called these external things in to mirror them back to ourselves. So what I want to say about grief is let it be there and allow some of those messages you, we have been taught to come to the surface and start examining them. I'm a great believer in wailing, crying, 
whatever your body needs to do to get out that pain. We have what's called a Māori funeral. That's indigenous people of New Zealand. They have a tangi. It's a funeral. They have the women that go out in front of the mourners and the procession and they wail. They scream, they wail, they wail loudly. And I think there's a beautiful lesson in there for all of us. Because I see in Western culture so much of this repressed coping mechanism where we can't lose it. But you know, when we lose it, we find it. And you can lose it in a safe place. You can grieve at home. You can wail. You can cry. You can journal. You can pound a pillow. You can walk into the ocean waves and roar and yell into them. That's very therapeutic. And find your voice again. You might cry so hard, you might gag. And sometimes we do. Or often when I'm doing healing sessions with people, they are burping. And I'm burping. I burp on their behalf. I have known many channelers who burp. They're releasing energy on the other person's behalf. Uh, I just stumbled on this. It sounds absurd, doesn't it? But let me tell you the proof of the pudding and that afterwards those people have finished burping. <laughs> They're burping and burping. And then at the end of the session, several days later, I feel so much lighter. Something's gone. Something's lifted. Energetically, something's gone. They've seen it, felt it, released it for, through some beautiful imagery that the divine has shown me to guide them through. And some of the behavior just drops away. They don't even have to try. It's not about we talk it to death and then we find ways to manage your behavior. No. No way. Yeah. We're not doing that. Uh, we don't manage behavior and find a hundred coping mechanisms. We go to the root. We go to divine because divine knows. Divine knows. Where and when this block happened, it'll tell you the date, the time, it'll freeze the frame and take you back there when you are ready, if you want to surrender, and gently, lovingly help you extrapolate the pain from that memory, and then hold you and rock you in his or her arms until you feel the comfort, and it will do it, the divine source We'll do it in stages as you're ready and willing with your permission because this is all about free agency. You don't have to do a thing. You don't have to do a thing your entire life. You don't have to. You have free agency to decide how much healing you want. But when you heal, there is always a payoff, my friends. There is a payoff to wander through the murk and mire and the unpredictability to make yourself vulnerable to the divine and say, yes, I do feel unworthy. Yes, I am loud and showy because I need attention because people haven't seen me and I didn't feel important enough. So I have to extrovert myself and buy these things and do all this. Make myself beautiful or muscly or wealthy or qualified or rich because if I don't, who am I? Who will love me? Who will love me? On some level, we don't even think we can love ourselves. And the divine says, if you let me in, Let's go back to that core issue. That pain, that moment of rejection when you decided you weren't good enough and you thought you were this and you had to do that. And you tell me about it and you feel it and you cry. Because I've got a million boxes of Kleenex, which is tissues, and I'm, I'm going to be here all day, all night for the next three billion years. 
I am here 24-7. And if you can't see my face and you don't know who I am and you can't feel me, I will send you other people who will be the face of the divine to show you what I look like. And so ask the divine. Send me people. They are often stepping stones. And in my role as doing healing and reading work, whatever you call it, channeling, I'm just a voice, a pipe, um, a reporter, channeling the divine to people so they can uh, use the experience as a stepping stone to start creating their own connections, their own way, forging their own relationship with source. It's a male or female entity or both. And whatever energy you need at the time, you flip between, I need a male energy, I need female nurturing comfort, I need protective identity, power. Flip between the two. And if you can't imagine it because you've never had it, ask the divine to send you experiences or movies or books where you can start to stream that concept into your mind and your imagination. Because imagination is the tool of the divine. So if Mr. Ingalls of Little House in the Prairie fits your concept of what a beautiful, attentive, emotionally sensitive father is, then you imagine him as the divine. And you take yourself back to that six-year-old little girl sitting on his knee and him holding you, listening to you, calling you half-pint and reassuring you. Or if you need a safe mother, someone who represents that to you, and the divine will send you people. When we ask, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And the divine will do that as much as you're ready and able. So that is what I want to say about opening the door and allowing grief to come through. Because it is good grief. Grief will do you good. When we weep, we cry, we wail, we release endorphins, what are they called, endogenous opioids, and oxytocin. We release these endorphins that are natural physical painkillers and emotional painkillers. The body knows what it's doing. It is not just some mechanistic biological blob that you manage and boss around. It's a highly intelligent system integrated with your soul and spirit. And when you cry, you can freeze-dry those tears and have a look at the beautiful snowflake images. And I believe, well, science can't prove this, <laughs> but I've got quite a few theories of my own, that when you cry, those tears are releasing certain events and chemical responses that we automatically go into when that repressed grief event issue is triggered. And the tear is like releasing that formula around it. So I encourage people, cry. Be a crier. Crying is healing. And you flush out toxins and you flush out hormones and cortisol. And we all know that sustained production of cortisol produces inflammatory markers which over a prolonged time cause inflammatory diseases. Cancers fed on inflammation. Diabetes is a result of an um, prolonged chronic stress, reduction of cortisol. So for goodness sake, cry. For good grief, cry. As my mum would say to me some days, I would say, I just feel like crying. I don't know why I just feel like crying. I don't. She would say, just cry. 
and she'd hold my hand and I would sit there and I'd sob. I remember sitting at the kitchen table with her and she has Parkinson's, which is a lack of dopamine and, and constant depression. She knows what it's like. She said, just cry. And so I just cried and cried and cried. Do you know that was such a release? And that's what I do. I just cry. And I am saying to you, my friends, my beautiful treasured tribelings out there in podcast land, just cry. Don't overthink it. Don't work it out. It's about this and then and then and then. And you rationalize it. And then we jump out of our heart into our head. And before long, we've stuffed the feelings back down our throat. And often when I'm doing sessions with people, I will see the tears come up through their throat. And then they'll start to rationalize and talk it down. Talk it down, talk it out, talk it out or talk it down. And I say, let it up, let it up. And then here's the beautiful thing about the divine, about source, about the Christ energy, who is unconditional love with no agenda or payback, or whatever you call it. It comes in and it'll bring a, some kind of word or understanding around the event where suddenly I'll be able to feel what happened to them. This is what happened to you, and this is what you felt, and this is what the person did, and this is what the divine says. And they're like, oh, my God, that is exactly what happened, and that's it. And the divine is saying, it's okay, it's with you, it saw that. And then they realize they were never alone through it, and the divine is with them. And for some reasons, larger and more complicated and bigger than this podcast to discuss now, the divine comes through and just validates their tears. As they release, every teardrop is like a formula, an event, a feeling, a core belief that is released out of the body. It's like a powerful symbology. It's something leaves the body. And don't underestimate the value of a tear. One tiny egg and one tiny sperm cell holds life. One tiny cell holds all the DNA, the 23 chromosomes for life. That one tear, not only does it hold endorphins and flushes out toxins and cortisol, it also, I believe, I believe, this is yet to be backed up or qualified or quantified by any research journal, that it's releasing an event. So have a think about that when you next cry. All the tears that are coming out are releasing and releasing emotions, events, thoughts, beliefs. They're evacuated through the body. And then the body drops into a state of beautiful calm. Oxytocin, the bonding chemical, comes out. And you begin to bond with yourself in the spiritual experience of what happened. And the divine is able to come in and comfort. Because when we're screaming and busy and we're denying, well, no one can comfort a wound that we deny its existence. But when we go, oh yeah, oh yeah, it's there. And with that we feel often a deep unworthiness and a helplessness. And I know that Western culture is not good around that. It's like, don't feel it, don't feel it, don't feel it. If you can't manage it, if you can't articulate it, oh, don't go there. It's too scary. Drop into it, trust the process. You don't have to understand it. Listen, the vast intelligence of the divine has got your back. This creative energy 
that in its spare time is out creating billions of galaxies and extending space, and they can see that, space is extending, the trillions of stars and galaxies has its pulse on every being, plant, planet, and is also in its free time. Oh, I'm going to create some more. Well able and capable and also personal enough to know which frame in your life needs freezing, repairing and healing. And is so personal and connected to you because you are part of the divine. The divine breathes through you and you breathe back to the divine. It breathes through you life and you breathe back your experience because you are one and the same. And for a moment we're in a life of learning and a bit of forgetting. But we return and we're never really separated. And the guides, your spirits, the Christ energy, whoever you call it, is around you. And is there and available if we open up and make space. So I'm saying, my friends, make some space. Create some space and allow it to be there. Give it permission. It's like a tide. The tide comes in, the tide goes out. The magnetic resonance of the divine is going to pull it in and out. And therein lies that space and opportunity for healing and clearing. Because what goes up must come down. And what goes down must come up. And how does this grief tie in to me as an intuitive healer and a channeler? Well, as I say, people will often come for a reading or work healing at a grief point in their life. And the divine uses this as an opportunity to tune in and say to them validating comments around their life, around what they've gone through, to give them perspective, some understanding, some comfort, and then a vision of where this is taking them, what it taught them, what it helped them to release. Because there's always a payoff when we go back to the grief and the point of pain that froze us in time and has kept our subconscious program in a state of fear that we live a little bit smaller. It frees us up to go bigger and better. It frees us up to fly to a new level. There is always a payoff. There's always a freedom. There's always some kind of, I want to say, gifts waiting. Things that we couldn't pick up because our grip was too small. Our hands open and they expand. And we're able to receive and take in more things. There is always a payoff to good grief. And you will find, um, maybe talking to mediums, channels, that they can also tune into, if you have lost a loved one, people on the other side who can bring validating, reassuring words from the other side that they're okay. And in one of my pods, I talked about my grandfather passing over and I repressed my grief for 10 years. But it was there waiting. Because grief is like a child peering through adult eyes. It's waiting for the opportunity to come forth. Can I speak now? Can I talk? Can I feel? Can, can I cry? Can I say what I feel? I'm really scared. You keep telling me to be quieter. I don't want to work this hard. I don't want to be this busy. I don't want to have to do all these things. Can you just let me? Can I, can I talk? That is the child within. Let it be there. Let it speak. Let it talk to you. Hold it. Allow it. And if you have trouble doing that to yourself, 
Find someone who can step into that kind of parenting position and be a stepping stone as you learn what comfort and permission looks looks like. And if you need comfort from the other side, ask for it. Your guides, the divine, your loved ones can come to you in your dreams and talk to you. I have had dreams from the other side, my grandfather, my grandmother, and it gave me perspective and understanding and it helped me to put some things to rest so that I wasn't I wasn't stuck and bound up and I wasn't guilt laden. I was able to let go and move on. And of course, mediumship and connection is not a cure for grief. We're still human. We are going to have to go through the human experience of grief. But it can be reassuring. So touch base with the divine and ask, ask, ask. They're there 24-7. Just ask. They need our permission. And the divine is there wanting to put his, her arms around you, talk to you, reassure you. Whatever it is you need or whatever stage you're at, the divine will meet you at. And it may not be what the book says or the man on the YouTube says. It'll be what you need. Because the divine is part of you and knows you and will give you what you need and take you on to the next step. So something I suggest to people sometimes is write your question or what you need on a bit of paper. You could journal it or put it under your pillow at night and literally sleep on it. It might take time, weeks. I don't know how long these things always take. But eventually what is put out there and asked for, the answer does come. So ask, ask for comfort, ask for reassurance. And I'm reminded of, here's a little metaphor. When your child falls over and the child comes running to you with a terrible grazed knee and it's bleeding, do you say, hmm, that's a superficial laceration. Let's apply some antimicrobial cream and we'll dress it. This will probably take uh, two to three weeks to form some kind of coating and then new cells will come through and it will be completely healed in six weeks. And then give them a script or something. You don't do that. We don't qualify and quantify it. <laughs> we don't discuss and talk it to death and analyze it when it's a child screaming and crying what do you do your heart races your ears prick up you hear the scream the cry the distress in their voice what are they doing that is the frequency of pain and they're releasing it they're just releasing it they're releasing it it's coming out of their body and then they run to you do you judge them oh you haven't been that you know yeah I don't think you've been highly productive. Um, you just need to keep your distance. No, the divine welcomes you regardless of how productive or successful you are. The divine is like a loving creator, parent. And some of us may not grasp this concept, so listen to this metaphor. It will not judge. Come here, grabs the kid, holds your boy or your girl. They're making all the noise in the world and it's okay. It's releasing. They are releasing their pain. And they don't pull out a journal and say, well, I think according to this journal. No. 
hold you on my knee and rock you. As you wail, as you cry, as you release, I am rocking you. The comfort of my body and my soothing voice. What is the soothing voice of a mother? It is a frequency. It's a frequency. Now they've shown frequencies to actually bust cells and heal different things, tumors, cancers. Frequency can be light, laser frequency, or it's sound. This is the frequency, a high frequency of the mother's voice soothing. There, there. It's okay. There, there. No new breath. Her frequency is coming out. Her arms are wrapping around. You're releasing hormones, oxytocin around the child, and she rocks him. And I know this firsthand from a dear, very dear friend of mine who's a mother who would rock and allow her children to wail and cry. And she didn't rush to the biscuit tin or comfort them. She'd go, no, I'm going to let them feel it. I'm validating their feelings. Yes, honey, that hurt. Yes, that gave you a terrible fright. That must have been very upsetting. Yes, it was upsetting. Crying, allowing them to cry, to feel, to wail. She rocks them, holds them, validates them, lets them express themselves reassures them until finally as they their tears begin to subside and they've released all their endorphins they're naturally receiving emotional and physical painkillers flushing out the toxins of the stress and trauma out of the neural pathways their body calms it goes into peace and then she comforts and holds them and when they have satiated their body and the memory feels healed they get up off their knee mum's knee and they go off and they play and they laugh and the memory is healed and that my friends is a small metaphor for what it is like to pass through grief and heal just because we're adults things didn't radically change and the process didn't get minimized and silenced it is still the same process it is still the same process with different people holding space for us. We might be using our imagination as our parent or stepping stones for a channel, a healer, uh, um, a dear close friend who steps into that role or a counsellor until we get what it feels like to release and be comforted and it's internalised and we know it and we're okay with it. And that is what good grief looks like. That is what good grief looks like so my friends my tribelings today along with the divine I give us all permission to feel express release and receive the comfort however that happens whatever way for you however long it takes, allowing good grief to play the part, to go the journey, so that we can move forward with hands that are a little bit more open and a little bit more freer, with a step that is a little bit lighter, And with a little more vision. Love and light, my friends. Good grief and love and light. The portal is calling 
and it knows your name. Love and light, beloved. Love and light.